join me in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you that we can come now to your word as we reflect upon this passage of scripture that you spoke uh, through your human instruments whom you inspired to communicate your very word even to us today. Father, I pray that you would bless me with faithfulness and with grace and with boldness in the preaching of your word, that you would bless us as we hear your word. O Holy Spirit, open our hearts that we would be further conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would give us a sense of, of confidence in the calling and commission that you have placed upon us to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to be those beautiful feet that Isaiah speaks of as we bring the message of Christ to the world. Praying this in his name. Amen. Well, today we return to our series on Mark, so if you would please open to Mark chapter 6. We'll begin reading at verse 7 and read this rather brief passage as Jesus calls and commissions the twelve apostles. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A recent World News Group report tells the story of a man who grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family. He left Israel when he was about 28 to live in South Africa. And as he was living there, he kept encountering these Christians who would point him to Christ, speak of Christ to him. In fact, one man actually presented him with a New Testament in Hebrew. And this Jewish fellow took that New Testament because he was this Christian was a potential client and he wanted to do business with him. But he took that New Testament and just set it aside. He viewed that Christians hated Jews. But out of curiosity, one day, he, he picked up that New Testament and began to read it, hoping to find an answer to why Christians, in his opinion, hated Jews. Well, more on this story a little later. What was the reason for those Christians speaking to this Jewish man? What was the reason behind this one man giving a New Testament in Hebrew to this Jewish man there in South Africa. Why would any Christian have the confidence to share the good news of the gospel with another person? I suggest the reason that you and I have confidence, the reason those Christians in South Africa had confidence to speak of Christ 
to this Jewish man, one actually giving him a New Testament, is found in our text today. Jesus commissioned, called the apostles to a specific mission. He commissioned them for that mission, and he instructed them to be committed with a sense of urgency to fulfill that mission. Why would any of us have confidence to share the good news of Christ with another person? I believe it flows out of what we will see in this passage this morning. Well, first, the text is about authority. Jesus called the twelve as apostles, literally meaning sent ones, with authority to represent him as as an ambassador to the nations. We see this in verse 7. Professor Hendrickson wrote this in describing the apostles. They were those clothed with authority to represent their sender. In John chapter 20 and verse 21, we read of the ultimate sent one, the Lord Jesus himself, when he said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And the you in this saying of Jesus is understood primarily to be these 12 apostles, but secondarily, every disciple, including you and me, are sent ones. This was an exclusive authority. It was limited, the text says 12, but in reality, we find that the office of apostle was extended to 14 men. The original 12, which included Judas, who would betray Jesus and commit suicide. And then in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' resurrection, before his ascension, you remember that Matthias was chosen by Lot to replace Judas, and then we Go ahead and Acts all the way down to chapter 9, and we find that the Apostle Paul encountered the risen Christ and was called and commissioned by Christ himself to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The point being that the office of apostle was exclusive to these specific men. It was not a permanent office but an office for a limited time for a specific purpose. And when the last apostle died, this office ceased to exist. These men had met the requirement to be an an apostle. An apostle, it's impossible for us to be an apostle. It was possible for them. These men met these three requirements. The apostle had to be a disciple who witnessed the resurrection, had to have seen the resurrected Christ, and was a man who was actually called by Christ to this office of apostle. It was not only an exclusive office of authority, but it was an empowered office of authority. Already in Mark, we have seen Jesus exercising authority over demons and diseases. And now our Lord empowers his apostles with that same authority. Look at verses 7 and 13 of our text today. The apostles were given authority to heal the sick, like Jesus. 
in Mark, we find this caveat that they were to anoint the sick with oil, oil there symbolizing the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. They were also to cast out demons. They have that authority and power. And they had the, the authority and the power to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to be those gospel messengers that we read about in Isaiah 52, the beautiful feet of those who bring good news. That applied to these apostles. Jesus' power was in himself, but their power was granted to them. Their power was in Jesus' name, as Professor Robinson has stated. This authority was original to Jesus, but not original to the apostles. It was, they were empowered with this authority. Well, let's go back to our story that we started with about this Jewish man who had received this New Testament in the Hebrew language. What authority did that Christian have to even give this Jewish man that particular New Testament? It was not the same authority Jesus gave to the apostles. That office had ended with the close of the apostolic age, but it was a similar authority. It was a derivative of that authority that every Christian has been called with Christ's authority to represent him as his ambassador. Paul encouraged the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is what he said. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then in just three verses later, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Those who are in Christ, verse 17 and verse 20, are now ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God speaking his gospel message through his ambassadors whom he has called and commissioned for that, that text. Every ambassador has authority granted to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, to be his representative. And I can think of no greater passage on which to rest this statement than Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know it well. It's the, it's, it's the great commission. It's well known. And Jesus' disciples are to, to represent him and his gospel message, and we need to see with authority. Sometimes I think we, we, we gloss over that first part of that passage, authority, and go right to make disciples. But the reason we make disciples is because we've been granted the authority to do so. Let me read this, 28:18 in Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am 
with you always to the end of the earth. All authority has been given to Jesus, and that authority has been granted to us to go as his representatives to make disciples. This is why that Christian man in South Africa had confidence to give that New Testament in the Hebrew language to that Jewish man. That is why those Christians in South Africa had authority to speak much of Christ to this Jewish man. This is why you and I have the confidence to declare the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel message to all with whom we have contact. They had authority to represent Christ, to declare the good news of the gospel. And all of us here who are new creations in Christ, who have been called to be Christ's ambassadors under his authority, called to be fishers of men, Mark 1 verse 17, are called for the purpose of making disciples, Matthew 28, 18. This text is about authority. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ under which we operate as his ambassadors. And that should give us a sense of confidence and boldness to go forth and represent him to the nations. Secondly, this text is about proclamation. Jesus called the twelve and sent them out with authority to represent him as his ambassador to the nations and he commissioned them to proclaim that people should repent look at verse 12 Jesus's mission was to be their mission and maybe you remember Jesus's mission which is clearly stated earlier in Mark chapter 1 beginning beginning with verse 14 now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus' authority over demons and diseases that we have seen throughout Mark, and in just as one example in chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, the purpose of, of Jesus casting out demons and healing diseases was to validate and authenticate the fact that he had authority to teach and that the content of what he taught was truth, was valid, was authentic. And our Lord called the twelve and commissioned them with the same, to proclaim the message, repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1 and verse 15 and he gave them authority to cast out demons. He gave them authority to heal diseases. But their authority for these miracles was to support the primary mission, which was a mission of proclamation, declaring the message of the gospel. Proclamation was Jesus' primary mission. Proclamation was the apostles' primary mission. And their ministry of proclamation established an authentic witness concerning Christ and his kingdom. It is for this reason, in verse 7, 
Jesus sent them out two by two. If you turn to passages like Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15 in the Old Testament, you will find a requirement of at least two witnesses to establish the evidence for the conviction of someone for murder. And Jesus sent out his apostles two by two, by the way, a fact found only in Mark, to establish the evidence that their witness or their message or their sermons concerning Christ were authentic and credible. It's amazing that if you read through Acts, and Bob uh, Trammell is teaching through Acts, that the account there supports this idea of establishing the evidence by two witnesses. Because when we look at the missionary journeys, we find Peter and John going out, Barnabas and Saul going out, Paul and Silas going out, and Barnabas and Mark, two by two, to establish that credible evidence that indeed the message is true. And the apostles' authoritative witness, along with the Old Testament prophets, form the foundation on which the church is built. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And let me read these several verses. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. The reason the apostolic office ended at the close of the New Testament era was this authoritative witness concerning Christ had been established through them as God inspired them to infallibly communicate his word. And this would be true for the prophets in the Old Testament as well. And therefore, these, the, the, this office were the offices of Apostle, capital A, Prophet, capital P, were no longer necessary since the canon of Scripture, the 66 books that came to be the Bible, had been given. And therefore, at the end of the Bible, the end of the New Testament, we find John in his revelation, in verse 18 of Revelation 22, writing this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. In other words, the scriptures are closed. <laughs> don't add to them and don't detract from them. They are set. Every true Christian represents Christ as his ambassador and called and commissioned to take the word that has already been revealed and given through the apostles and prophets and proclaim it to all for the purpose of extending God's kingdom 
on earth. So let us return to the story about the Christian giving the New Testament in Hebrew to this Jewish man. The Christian was able to give this New Testament with absolute confidence. It was the faithful witness concerning Christ, the very word of God, because of the fact that God spoke through the apostles and the prophets and laid a foundation with the Lord Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone. That this book we call the Bible is God's very word, and we can have confidence with And that man gave that New Testament scripture. Why didn't he give the Old Testament? Well, likely this Jewish fellow was raised in a home that, that read parts of the Old Testament. The, probably what he had never read was the New Testament. And so the man gave him a New Testament scripture in Hebrew with confidence that he was given the very word of God to this Jewish fellow. As he began to read it, he went to his rabbi with questions. Rabbi, what, what does this mean? Rabbi, have, if, if this is true, have we missed the Messiah? Yes, <laughs> but the rabbi didn't answer that way. And as he reflected more and more on what he had been reading, he, he realized, well, maybe these Christians don't hate Jews because a lot of the people I'm reading about in, in this New Testament are Jews like me. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm reading about places in this New Testament where I have actually been. I read about the Galilee. I grew up in the Galilee. This man prayed to the God of Israel. And he said, God of Israel, reveal yourself to me. And God answered that prayer. God the Holy Spirit gave him spiritual eyes to see that indeed the Jewish people had missed Messiah and that Jesus was Messiah. And what's amazing here is that Christian man who gave that New Testament in Hebrew to this Jewish fellow didn't even have any guarantee that he would read it. But he represented Christ to this Jewish man. He gave the good news of the gospel with confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And then the Apostle Paul appeals to that Isaiah 52 passage that Jeff read earlier and speaks of how beautiful are the feet who bring good news. That Christian man in South Africa, beautiful feet in bringing the good news to this Jewish man. And God was pleased to save him. This Christian man in South Africa had the wonderful privilege of being an ambassador of Christ to this Jewish fellow. And I would say to my fellow ambassadors, 
all of you here who are in Christ Jesus, our calling and commission. No, it's not exactly the same as the apostles, but it is kin to it. It is derived from it. We are to be those beautiful feet that Isaiah speaks about, following after the pattern of the apostles in taking the very word of God with confidence, preaching it with confidence, explaining it with confidence, yes, giving it with confidence, trusting God that he will use it to bring about his purposes. This passage is about proclamation. And then thirdly, this passage is about urgency. They were to be committed to doing what Jesus told them to do in the way he told them to do it. <laughs> and so why did Jesus tell them to do it in the way that he told them to do it? I'm having to read this because I've already been tongue-tied today, and that surely would have tongue-tied me. Well, the three synoptic gospels differ on what items Jesus told the apostles to take. Luke does not mention sandals, and Matthew does not mention bread. In Luke and Matthew, it appears the apostles were not even to take a staff. They were not to take a traveler's bag or a knapsack. They were not to take money. They were not to take sandals, and they were not to take two tunics. Well, Mark records that they were to take a staff, they were to wear sandals, but they were not to take bread, they were not to take a bag, nor money, nor two tunics. And so what is the resolution here? The resolution is this. What Jesus is saying as we look at the three synoptic gospels together is, hey, don't take a pair of extra sandals, don't take an extra tunic, and don't take an extra staff not a rod that you might beat off a wild animal with or a robber, but just a walking staff like you and I might use hiking up Pinnacle Mountain. He did say in, in the Gospels, don't take bread and don't take money in your belt. And the question becomes, why was Jesus so specific in these instructions? Uh, one reason may be that the, that, that the mission required trusting God. Trusting God to provide food, trusting God to provide lodging, trusting God to provide all that, that these apostles needed as they went about fulfilling their mission. And so they were to take only what was absolutely essential and trust God for the rest. That could be. Another reason may be the expectation of believers exercising the gift of hospitality. It was very common in that day when it was not exactly a good idea to go to the Motel 6 that homes would be opened up to welcome in travelers and especially the household of faith welcoming in other Christians. Maybe that was the reason. Still another reason is the principle of the laborer being entitled to his wages or to support. For example, Derek and I pastoring here that that those to whom we minister provide a living uh, for us. It's that principle. And so the, the apostles were entitled to support food and lodging as those, as others benefited from their ministry. But we must consider yet another reason for these instructions. Our daughter Megan might be called a minimalist. And when she would travel, she would often stuff 
everything, and it didn't matter how long she was gone, she would stuff everything in a backpack and take it as a carry-on. And so Megan has epitomized being a minimalist uh, to me. And I dare say that for most of us, we probably pack 90% more than we actually use, right? Well, not so with Megan. And not so with the apostles. Jesus might have been encouraging an early version of being a minimalist when he called the apostles to go out and take virtually nothing, just the sandals on their feet, the staff in their hand, and the tunic covering their uh, shoulders. It's interesting that as we compare this passage in Mark 6 to what God, how God instructed Israel in Exodus 12, there's an interesting similarity. In Exodus 12, the Israelites were instructed to observe the Passover in this way. In verse 12, in this manner you shall eat it, that is the Passover, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, be ready to leave. Don't be encumbered by a bunch of stuff. Trust me. And we find in Exodus 12 and Mark, uh, really helping us understand Mark 6 and the instructions, travel light, guys. I call you to a minimalist approach. Just the essentials. And you're to be committed to my instructions that you will not be encumbered, but be able to have a sense of urgency to be about the mission to which I have called you. In verse 11, Jesus instructed the apostles to shake the dust off their feet as a testimony against a house that would not listen to them or a town that would not listen to them. While there's difference of opinion on this, this practice, I don't think Mark is in, intending it to be understood like the Jews shaking off the dust if they happen to have stepped in a place like Samaria, for example. That would be more of a function of cleansing. I think that it was more about the fact that the apostles shaking the dust off their, their feet was to impress upon those who reje rejected the apostles that they were now accountable to God for that rejection. And, they, and that the apostles were not to waste their time trying to convince hard-hearted people to repent and believe. Again, I think it was a matter of urgency to be about the task, the mission to which Jesus called the apostle. What about our commitment to God's sovereign plan? Jesus specifically instructed the apostles in a very specific way, but it's not normative for us. But the lesson of those instructions communicating a sense of urgency, that is applicable to us. That we are to be about the Lord's business, and he has called us to be 
his gospel messengers, his ambassadors. He has called us to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to be those beautiful feet of the gospel messengers to the nations, to extend his kingdom. He has called us to be a part of his wonderful plan of salvation as we outwardly call people to repent and believe in the gospel. The outward call that he has placed upon us as part of his saving work. And we should have this sense of urgency not because a sinner's salvation is determined by our effectiveness to share the gospel, because God has chosen to work through the means of his people proclaiming the gospel to the nations. And we need to get about his business and have a sense of urgency about it, not being encumbered by all the many things, material things, other interests, our own designs for the future, but be laser-focused, be minimalist, viewing that what God has called us to be. Yeah, we're to enjoy creation, so I'm not advocating divest of everything, but I am suggesting that this passage calls us likewise to have a sense of urgency to be about the Lord's business. Would we do that? Would we commit to the mission and to have that sense of urgency to be about the Lord's business of calling sinners to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Over, I'm just going to wrap up here. So over 250,000 Israelis have been evacuated from their home on the Gaza Strip, and about 40 towns and villages have been evacuated from the northern border with Lebanon, and this, of course, all since October 7th, and the, just the unthinkable attack that took place against uh, Israel by Hamas terrorists. The Israeli government, the Israeli army, really wasn't prepared have to, they had to get up to speed so quick to respond to this. Pastor Israel Eluz and the members of his church who lived right on the northern border with Lebanon, and by the way, on that northern border, Hezbollah's lobbying missiles over on a regular basis. And so the Gaza Strip and toward the south and the area on the Le Le Lebanese border, these are war zones. And so Pastor Eluz and his congregation decided not to evacuate, but to stay and to serve the Israeli fighting forces by making meals for them and feeding them because the soldiers did not, there really hadn't been the proper preparations to even feed the soldiers in a proper way. And this pastor and his church feed almost 500 soldiers every day. The pastor said this to a world news reporter, and I praise God, instead of worrying about what's going on, that is missiles being lobbed over and terrorists coming trying to kill every Israeli, we are busy giving as Jesus basically did. You know, he fed the multitudes, and I think this is our job. And Eluz and his church members, it's a beautiful example of serving as an ambassador of Christ, demonstrating a commitment to be about the Lord's business. 
with urgency in a very dangerous environment. They are proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ in acts of mercy and charity. Now the rest of the story. Pastor Eluz was that Jewish man who was given that Bible some years early, earlier in South Africa. Seventeen years back, Pastor Eluz returned to Israel as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to do ministry in his home country, to be an ambassador for Christ where he grew up <laughs> in the Galilee. The Christian man who offered this New Testament in the story, did he know even that this man came to know Christ? I don't know. Did he know that now Eluz is back in Israel doing ministry? Does, do you think that Eluz is going to be able to see how his efforts in mercy ministry and those of his church, how they might impact Israeli sh soldiers? They may never know whom they have impacted. That South American Christian or South African Christian may never know how he impacted this one man who is now impacting the Israeli army as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I may never know that a word of witness that we speak to someone, how God might use that. But that's not the point. The point is being faithful to the call and the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ has given his church. That we are to have confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. That it is the very Word of God and that God has choose to save sinners through the means of that Word being proclaimed by his ambassadors. May we be confident in the authority that we have been given to be the beautiful feet, the gospel messengers to the nations that Christ's kingdom would be extended. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this really unbelievable call that you placed upon your church. Lord, you could save anybody with any means, and you have chosen to, as part of your means in saving sinners, that your people would have a part to play, to serve as your ambassadors. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a sense of, we have the, we have the authority to represent Christ, to give us a sense of, we're able to proclaim the message of Christ with confidence because it is that foundation that you gave through the apostles and the prophets. And, Lord, that we might have a sense of urgency to be about your business in declaring the good news of Christ to the nations, that your kingdom would be extended and that your glory would be achieved. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.